Fear the Fro listeners, I apologize for my podcast yesterday. I was in a I was in a bad place. I was in a dark space. But with time, a little bit of separation, and the guest that has joined me today, I hope to put the negativity behind me and focus on the positives. And today, joining me on the Fear the Fro podcast is a man who I respect greatly. One of the men on the front lines, on the Cavalier beat this season. And you guys are surely all familiar with him. I speak, of course... Of Spencer Davies. On Twitter, you can find him at Spin Davies, taking time out to talk about the cast. Thank you for coming on the Fear the Fro podcast, Spencer. No problem, Bob. Thanks for having me on, man. No, thank you, Spencer. I think this will help cleanse my palate from what was an emotional spiral in yesterday's postgame pod. Now, you, on the other hand, have been cranking out quality mailbags at Cavs Insider. Yeah, it's been a fun thing to do. I've been doing them daily. Uh, so that's, you know, a lot of questions. <laughs> but I feel like it's a good way to kind of, as you said, you know, a lot of fans get emotional in the moment and stuff like that. And I think by asking them for their questions in the heat of the moment, they're going to, you know, kind of say things maybe they don't mean, maybe they do mean the next day, depending on how they, you know, come down from it. But I just try to provide that, that like like Gruz Fraba, you know, like that. Let's chill a minute here and actually look at the data. Are you are you onto something, or is this just something you're saying because you're mad? And then I look into the data points of of some things, maybe some trends that we see. I can't take the same question over and over again <laughs> without going <laughs> crazy. And you know what that question is already. So right. I'm sure we're gonna get into that. But I do appreciate everyone's participation, and I hope to continue it. I got to say, one of my favorite things you do is when you're making a point, you support it with data. You show your work. Like you were illustrating how Darius Garland, he's not just shooting poorly, but he's shooting poorly while being left wide open, 10 feet or more. And with a simple link, you already have all the filters preloaded. You've dummy proofed it. Yeah. And it's not just DG either. It's it's pretty much the entire team other than maybe Karis LeVert and Donovan Mitchell. Because you bring in guys who are proven, proven floor spacers like Max Struess, George Niang, and they're just not converting on these shots. And if you look at the tape, they are well-generated, they are quality looks, and they're just not falling. I thought the offense in Oklahoma City, when they weren't just giving it away on a silver platter, I thought it looked good. You know, maybe come after me for that, fans, but I, I generally think that the offense was good. They got into the paint in the second half well. I thought Kyrus LeVert, you know, the the unsung hero that should be sung much more than he is, uh, did a great job of getting into the paint, similar to how Darius Garland got into the paint on Sunday against the Warriors. Purely enough, it's just not, the shooting is not happening right now for some reason. That's called variance. You know, when you have good looks being generated, you know, you mentioned that Garland's one for 12 on wide open threes. I also put a link into that mailbag on just purely open threes. There's no one on the team shooting above 30% other than I think it's Donovan Mitchell, which is just ridiculous. They're right there. And, you know, for as discombobulated as we want to talk about this offense maybe being, it really happens in matchups only against the Knicks. Everybody else, I think it's looked fine against, and that's okay. And, uh, you know, they're not going to play New York every single game. They're almost done with New York this season already. Well, that and that's an interesting thing about the early season schedule so far because we've had opponent. I mean, Oklahoma City, the Knicks, 
the Pacers. We've all got them in home and away series. So we're kind of able to look at these home road splits. Those things that you would use as qualifiers normally, well, oh, we face better competition at home than on the road. A lot of those have been dismissed because we're facing essentially the same teams. But on the road, the team has been appreciably better. 5% better from the field, 5% better from three, 10% better from the free throw line. And the sort of a continuation of a lot of what we saw last year. As panicked as I was in the aftermath of last night to a certain degree, or I should say depressed more than panicked, there is a part of me that's hopeful. Perhaps we're in for better results than we may anticipate. Yeah, no, and I think that's where I, I just, I know it's impossible as fans to to step back and think in the moment. It, you know, I, I'm a Browns fan. I get the same way when I watch those games, right? I get the same way when I watch Guardians games. You know, I do have my moments where I shake my head. Like when I was watching DG try to <laughs> try to get the ball over the top for three straight possessions against uh, a trap or a, a blitz, whatever it may be, uh, over the top of Jalen Williams, over the top of Shea Gilgis Alexander. I'm like, my guy, it's just not working. So you might want to try something else. I, I, I get that. There are also times where I see, okay, this was good process. This was a good offensive possession that did not result in points, but keep doing it because it's the right way to play basketball. So yeah. I try to think in that lens of, of how it works. And same with the defense. Um, other than that first half start, same thing against Indiana. They just were not guarding the ball well enough, and they were letting them into their paint so easily. Shea was getting all of his spots. I get that. In the second half, there were a lot of possessions that Oklahoma City had where the Cavs were defending great for like 80 to 18 to 20 seconds. And then the last swing, the fifth or sixth pass of the possession, it goes to a man that's just open enough for a three, and the late contest doesn't do anything to it, and Oklahoma City knocked it down. When you look at those types of factors within a basketball game, I think it's easier to see and process than it is in the moment when you just see it go in. And you you have to film study to do that. I try to do that for you guys. So you're like, oh, okay, maybe. Like I did the same thing in the first Thunder game when they, you know, blew the ten point lead, and I showed exactly how it happened. Yeah. Instead we, of going to narrative, we talked a lot about that uh, on the podcast. The frustration of a nine point lead with less than two minutes left, and you give up back to back to back triples. Some very questionable choices on the defensive end in that little stretch. A bad rotation by Karras a decision to close off a driving lane by Mobley that left Jalen Williams open. And then, of course, how Evan Mobley decided to pick up Chet Holmgren in transition. Should he have closed harder? Did he make the right call? I guess my question to somebody who's around the team would be, do the guys take it harder when they lose winnable games or when they're just outclassed from start to finish? Which one stings more? I think that it's harder to stomach when you played bad more than the the close losses, because if you, if you trust what you're doing and it works, that's something. But if, if you trust what you're doing and it doesn't work, that can kind of get to your head. But at the same time, you're like, I'm not going to stop trying this because it didn't work that night. Uh, I will go um, into a detail that I thought was interesting last night, just uh, watching these post-game interviews and Karis LeVert talking about those defensive assignments you were talking about, and it kind of refers to what happened the first time against Oklahoma City, and even last night, they're not playing good team defense right now. 
they are not locking in situationally on who they should be locking in on. For example, yesterday, Shea Gilgos Alexander was able to get to whatever spot he wanted to. He's been able to do that against a lot of teams. However, they weren't even trying to make it tough on him. They were, you know, consistently too concerned about their own man who might not be as dangerous with an opportunity as Shea would be, if you get what I'm saying. They've been way too over-aggressive on closeouts. Uh, I think a detail that fans need to also pay attention to if you want to really get down and dirty with the defense is the Cavs are a no-middle team, and they're giving way too much of that part of the, the floor up right now because of the over-aggressive closeouts, because of over-helping. You're going to hurt the defensive end if you're just giving the ball to the other team with half of a floor to work with. I think there's plenty of times that our defense has not performed up to the expectations we've had of them. But I also think it's important to step back and consider stuff beyond just our own personal failings. Because Indiana's a team, I mean, they're first in the NBA in scoring. So for all the criticism... 150 twice. It's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) And even their bench. Their bench is basically first in every metric across the league. The points, the points per possession, the assists, all these things. It's one of those situations where, like with Colorado and football, everybody was going wild when they beat TCU to start the season. And with the benefit of hindsight and a little bit of time, I think what people may realize here is that the Pacers and Oklahoma City are not the Pacers and Oklahoma City of last season. These are legitimately solid squads, top to bottom, who could be a lot more successful than people anticipated. I have long been a Thunder appreciator. I've been there even when their rotation's all mixed up. They're playing Trey Mann. They've got uh, Alex Pokusevsky out there. I'm watching those games. I love Kenrich Williams, right? I love... But now they've got even more promising talent on the team. And I'll tell you what, man, maybe part of the reason too, that Darius was having a little bit of a tough time with with those, with those, those drives or when he was trying to get it over the top was because Chet Holmgren's in there, man. Like, 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 again, you have to look at it from a, from a matchup standpoint, the Warriors didn't have anybody over six, nine or six, 10 in the paint. The, the, The thunder rangy guys, Terrific point of attack defenders when you look at Lou Dort, who absolutely did a per, uh, almost a perfect job on Donovan Mitchell yesterday. But Chet, Chet just had, he gets it. He gets it. He knows how to play defense. And it's going to be tough for a lot of teams to figure out his, his verticality. The way you beat him right now is you take it into his chest. Did you see the Nyang play yesterday? George aggressively boxes out with his front. He doesn't put his back into people. He turns around and he just, he removes you from the play, if at all possible. And you could tell he caught Holmgren unaware because he got a bow right in the chest that folded him. Oh yeah. Yep. You know, I even thought that Evan did a good job on, on Chet in the second half. There's a trend not to take us too far off the the topic, but there's a trend that we're seeing here. The Cavs are not coming out of the gate ready uh, every game and they have not been consistent with their their efforts um or at least with their execution maybe not the efforts well and that's that's one of the things that i i said in my you know monologue cry session last night after the game i'm a patient fan i think for the most part i think this year it's not about more wins for me it's about the nature in which they win and the consistency and the getting rid of the need 
for you know the big swings, the 15-point defensive lockdown quarters uh, to bail you out of what's a 10-point hole. You talked about variance. I want less variance. That would be a signal of a step forward. I don't look to individual statistical barometers as a sign of, okay, how this team has progressed, because I don't think you can compare teams that consistently are getting deeper every season and turn to stats as your justifier. Things like efficiency, consistency, effort, and removing these wild swings would not only go a long way to help me as a fan, but would also maybe quiet some of the noise around the the coaching staff. 100%. 100%. And that is on the coaching staff for them to be ready to come out of the gates. I mean, they talked about it at practice. They're like, you know, really against the Warriors, we felt like that was our most complete game. And that is something that you can build off. The morale of the team was really high going into this game. And yet, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot a little bit and you, you know, have problems on the defensive end because of that. And because, you know, you're not sticking to your principles, you're getting into early foul trouble, whatever it was, then that really kind of takes away the goodwill. And JB said it last night, man. He said it's disappointing. They need to remedy that. They need to figure that out. And if this continues, then yeah, you're going to have questions about JB Bickerstaff being the leader of this team. And that's a big if. We'll see how they respond in Golden State and then the rest of the road trip. I think that you've got to give them at least, you know, a 20 to 25 game sample size to figure out whether or not you have the correct leadership. But this isn't about regular season wins and losses, like you said. This is about getting to the playoffs, winning a first round series, and then seeing where that takes you from there and how far you can go. They've addressed what they needed. The, people were so mad about Max Struess and George Nian because they're not making shots. I get that. But again, they're getting the right looks. They're spreading the floor. There, there is data that they're they are spreading the floor. And Struess is very, very uh, effective even when he's not making threes because you can see the defenses that pay attention to him. And you can also see his hustle and his rebounding and his and his 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 passes up the floor, like I was saying earlier. The front office did their job. This is now on the coaching staff to make that work. But I'm not willing to make these these sweeping conclusions when we're a week and a half into the season. I'm just not gonna do that. I think it's stupid, personally. No, it is stupid. And I make yeah. those sweeping conclusions all the time. And then I go back a few days later and I think, <laughs> you piece of shit. Why did you do that? You should have taken a you should have taken a beat. Uh, come back, revisit it when you're less emotional. Um, <laughs> the but, first half trend, trend is troubling. Like I'm not, I will level with everybody on that. It is, it's troubling. And you know, the third quarter somehow has been their best of the year all year so far, uh, which is seems ass backwards. If you know, these Cavs teams, the way that they've, they've started game strong and then has let opponents back into it before, but they got to figure it out. They got to figure out how to do the complete thing. Every single game. There are so many things which history tells you will not sustain that, you know, on one hand you have people freaking out because Evan Mobley hasn't made some dramatic leap on the offensive end. To me, that is the furthest thing from my mind because in so many, believe me, I hear it too. But to me, it's a far more pressing issue for the shooting to return to anywhere closer to the normal averages for Darius, for Max Struess, for Nyang, because those guys put stuff up at volume. The amount of impact it would make if they even just crept towards average shooting percentages is going to make such a more significant impact than if all of a sudden 
Evan jumps from shooting, you know, 20% on two mid-range shots a game to 40%. His floor is so high in all the other ways that he contributes. Guys like Struess and Yang, so much more of their worth was placed on their ability to put the ball in the bucket. And I will say, I was shocked uh, at how much more Struess has provided than I expected. Doubled up his best rebounding numbers, like you said. If this shooting slump, if we break out of this shooting slump, it could look night and day different to what we've seen at the beginning of this season. I have like such a rant prepared every time I talk about Evan Mobley because it's it's a nuanced conversation people need to see and watch every possession. You know, I get the, oh, the media is trying to peddle the, the all-star narrative with him. I'm like, no, dude, I'm just telling you it takes time. I don't know any other third overall picks that are in their second and third year that are on a team that's trying to contend. I think that situation actually makes a difference. I think usage makes a difference. Uh, yeah, the jump shot needs to get better. Absolutely. It's been flat. It's been, matter of fact, it looks like it's regressed a little bit. However, is that where you want to use Evan Mobley the most? No. You went out and got Max Struess. You went out and got George Niang. You have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Evan Mobley is there for high handoffs. He's there to be a dribble handoff hub with Max Struess, which they've displayed a couple of times this year. He's there to be a lob threat in the dunker spot. Uh, defensively, he's there to cover the entire damn floor. But I think what people see when the Cavs play a Chet Holmgren, for example, is why isn't Evan Mobley that? He's the same size. He's the same, you know, height. Well, it's because they're two different players. Evan was never a jump shooter. He was never somebody who had amazing handles that could bring it up the floor the way that, that Chet does. Like they're, they're just two different archetypes, right? And I feel like we have this discussion. I thought Justin Rowan, who does a great job with the chase down, um, the Cavs podcast, talking about how this is what Heat fans do with Bam Adebayo. They think he's not effective because he's not scoring all the time, right? Call me crazy, but I think Evan Mobley's closer to a, you know, like a his offensive skill set's more like a Giannis than anybody than than the typical stretching the floor seven footer like Chet Holmgren, for example. You know, you get him the ball in transition, he's gonna make something happen. It's hard for him one on one to beat guys right now. But if he's on the block and he catches it on an entry feed, faces up. I think he's got a decent chance to score. His right hooks looked good. That's my Evan Mobley rant. I, I, I just think that people try to put him with other seven-footers in this league right now. They just try to put him next to that and say, okay, that's what he should be when that's not who he is. Well, and that's been an adventure ever since he came into the draft because people mm -hmm. are so obsessed with the, the idea of comps. But Evan is a blend of all sorts of things. At times, defensively, I think JJJ. At times, offensively, I think, okay, he operates like a skinny DeMontis or a Marcus Gasol without a jump shot. They're all clunky in their own ways because all those guys are different than Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley is pretty unique. With his struggles on the offensive end, it's taking so much away from the fact that he's facilitating the best he ever has. He has been absolutely dominant on the glass, an area that we felt like we kind of neglected in the summer to go after shooting instead. And he has taken yet another leap, which I think doesn't get enough credit uh, in the early part of this season for Mobley. Yeah, no. And I think that that helps 
when you have Jared Allen back in there too to to box some guys out and it opens some situations up to to crash there too. But I again with with Evan, his skill set is so different than a lot of the the modern day bigs. He's more like a seven foot guard. Like he's he's a he's an interesting archetype. There's there's no doubt and. I get people's impatience because they see up and down, up and down, and he needs to get better at that. He needs to get more consistent. It's year three. But when you look at the actual production himself, they got to put him in positions to succeed. His usage has fluctuated. He's played the five. He's played the four. He's played the backup five. These are things that you need to know where your your touches are coming from. I, I just do not know any third overall pick that has been on a contending team who they've expected to develop as fast as these people are expecting him to develop. I mean, it's probably pretty apparent based on the name of the podcast, but I'm not one of these people who wants to rush anything or force anything with Evan, because I think he's best in that capacity you talked about as a roaming for with Allen behind him to be able to maximize a lot of the stuff that Mobley does best. I think it serves both of them. And Uh, I am glad. I am I am so happy to see Jared Allen back. And I know they've been controlling his minutes, but I think it's going to materialize on the court in a way which will finally put to bed so much of the the strays that Allen took all off season. Now, yeah. I I wanted to uh try a little exercise with you. Last season, through the first 2 months, the Cavaliers were 14 and 8, and that was propped up in large part on that eight and one run they began the season with coming into this road trip the Cavaliers are at three and five I wanted to rapid fire through some expectations for this next stretch of games Golden State prediction I think that first game coming back home after a long road trip can kind of sneak up on teams and the Warriors are coming off I think a four game road trip on the east coast Um, they just finished it up yesterday they um, ended up losing at the at the very end, because Steph couldn't hit a, a, a floating uh, yeah. left left hander against uh, Denver. Ah, you know, I just like OKC had the Cavs numbers. I'll say the Cavs win that one. Next, we got Kings, who may not have De'Aaron Fox. Right, and uh, there's a lot of uh, Kings fans that are a little you know hesitant because with De- De'Aaron Fox out, uh, I think they won on um, on. Uh, Wednesday night, but the game before that, they got blown out. Um, Wasn't that the Rockets, I think? That is correct. I mean, Sabonis always has given the Cavs problems. So that one's that one's probably a tough one. I'll say they drop that one, but that'll be a close affair, I think. Okay. I'm going to assume we're both expecting a win in Portland. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're basically arriving at the same place, which is a, I'm hoping for a two and one run in these next three games on the road before they return home to host the Pistons. I think it's more likely it'll go loss-win-win, but I would be happy to deal the Warriors a loss in their own arena. There is some some big teams towards the end of this month. I mean, the Cavaliers, after that Pistons game, who they are playing better than a lot of people anticipated in the early part hey, of this Cunningham, season. Cunningham, shout out. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Sasser has been a revelation. S- similar to the way I felt about Wallace, Last night, some of these guys that very low expectations playing behind all-star level guards are shining. That's just an unexpected gem dropping in your lap. Case and Wallace, right? You're talking about Case and Wallace? Mm -hmm. Okay, I I was just making sure. And yeah, Marcus Sasser, man, you you love those upperclassmen coming out of college. Those are 
that's becoming more of a trend now. It's yeah. not just the one and done guy. Well, and then the Cavs get Denver and the 76ers back to back. A very difficult slate. And speaking of Ooh. upperclassmen coming out, Denver's got Strother, who seems to be playing pretty well. In his one game where he logged nearly 20 minutes, he dropped 21 points with five three-pointers. So that's going to be a battle, but you do get them here, and then you'll go from one MVP to another because Philadelphia follows that. It's conceivable that we'll be, you know, maybe just over 500 uh, if everything kind of goes as well as I would expect. I think the ceiling is probably like 11 and 8, which would put us a little behind last season. But I think we could find ourselves in a much better space mentally by the end of November. There, there aren't many gimmies in that stretch where they go Denver, 76ers, Heat, Lakers, Raptors, Hawks. Now, Lakers I would... Lakers is a gimme. Just kidding. I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I'm fairly confident on no, Lakers. never... Never. Never I'm, when LeBron comes home around Thanksgiving. That's never a get me. I'm just messing. <laughs> I uh, I just I hearken back to last year. One of the most one of the most uplifting wins we had, seeing them beat the Lakers finally at home in situations which I just had come to expect a loss in. So I think it's a new era. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm telling myself anyway. Hopefully the referees will resent the letter sent to the league, and they will take it out on him when he comes to Cleveland. And Karis LeVert will shoot 25 free throws. One other thing I want to touch on. Uh, I've talked to you a lot about the Cavs, and you've been great with giving me so much of your time. What have been the surprise storylines for you, just on an NBA level? I think that, uh, I mean, people are noticing, but I think Minnesota's start is ridiculously good. Um, I think Anthony Edwards is, I think he's that dude. It's really fun to watch him close out games and he he's the closest thing that we've got. Uh, I'm not gonna say it, but 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 he's he's willing to take those shots over two three guys and come up and and take pull up shots even if he misses them he's gonna take them the next game. I'll well, I'm with you on that. I mean, because I I was doing you know? my preseason predictions and for clutch, I, he was my pick because I just think he's a guy who wants that moment and it's been shocking to see, like you said, uh, seeing them. Deal a loss finally to the Celtics. That was seemed like I was waiting forever. But for also for that team to be the best defense in the NBA this year, I certainly didn't see that coming. I expected a leap from Ant, but for the whole team to thrive as much as they have, that's definitely one of the same ones that jumped out to me. Uh, well, you had you had fans counting Jaden McDaniel's numbers when he got the extension, and you're seeing why they paid him. I know it's a lot of money, but you're seeing why they paid him. They've got Rudy Gobert, one of the best rim protectors in the league. I thought uh, Dane Moore, who uh, does a great podcast on the Timberwolves, Absolutely. I thought he had an excellent point about Jaden McDaniels. And I lose sight of it, too, because the conversation about Okoro is similar. When we start tossing around numbers, at least initially, I think, oh, my goodness, that's a lot of money. But then when you look at it as a percentage of the cap, Jaden McDaniels essentially got a deal that was comparable to what R.J. Barrett and Mikhail Bridges did, just years removed when you factor in, you know, the rising cap prices. And when you look at it in that context, it isn't as outrageous. For the money he got per year, I didn't think it was that offensive. The crazier thing is kind of just looking at the cap commitments they have as a team and knowing how boxed in they are from an overall roster standpoint. But based on the early season results, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world because they're finally seeing that kind of come to fruition and they've come out of the gates really strong here. Um, 100%. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned the percentage of the cap thing because I try to tell that to my friends. I'm like, who's, he's like, who is this guy making this money? I'm like, well, okay, compared to like 10 years ago, that's like a $6 million contract. Refresh my memory, or, or I could double check this after the podcast, but the year that the cap jumped, 
in the Kevin Durant year. I want to say it was still only around $90 million a season. And we're, you know, we're pushing into the, you know, 130s right now. So it's, and it's, it hasn't been that long. It wasn't that long ago. They're saying it could go anywhere from six to 10% next year, depending on what happens. I mean, it, there's going to be drastically bigger deals as we go along here. Isaac yeah. Okoro, as soon as I saw the Neesmith well, deal, the Cole Anthony deal, yeah, I'm like, well, that was unrealistic. <laughs> that was stupid. I don't know why I was thinking that. So I've, yep. I've totally mentally prepared myself for that at this sure. point. Um, sure. and, and hey, we didn't touch on Isaac, man. He, he's been out the last couple games, and you're seeing why he's valuable. If yep. you just throw out the record, if all you did was show me highlights of Struess, a Coro where you you know you press the little NBA leak pass hide score button. I would say individually, Max is doing more than I thought he would do outside of the making shots, but all the ancillary parts of his game. Isaac's doing more than I thought he would do in all the ancillary areas. Evan, much the same. It's solely the scoring. Rebounding, I thought, was going to be one of those things that could burn us. I was one of those people on the Christian Wood. Uh, let's try to get him in for that final minimum contract. But to see what Struess is doing and Mobley kind of take a step forward, and even Isaac uh, going at the rim on, on rebound attempts and trying to grab the ball and get out and run right away, I don't think it's going to be as big of an issue as I thought it would be. Now, the Knicks, certainly, I mean, they're always going to give us issues in that realm. But against most teams that we could potentially face off against, I think it might turn out to be much ado about nothing. Yeah, no, and and I've enjoyed watching Isaac play offense this year just because he's so fast in transition, and I love that like one two step thing he does on guys uh, when he's trying to take it to the hole. Um, usually draws fouls that way. Uh, he's worked on his his jump shot. You don't want him taking too many a game, but he's he's knocking them down right now. I think he's forty percent defensively. I don't know if you caught this in the, in one of my mailbags this week. He and George Niang right now have the best two-man defensive rating on the team. Yeah, that's unbelievable because it's they're, they're, basically... They're allowing 79.5 points per 100 possessions. I know it's a loud number because it's only been, you know, four or five-game sample size. But I thought that was, that was kind of funny. Yeah. When he gets back, I don't know how often Dean Wade's going to play. I feel like he's starting to fall out of favor in the rotation. I think he only got, what, 10 minutes yesterday? He had five boards in that in that amount of time, but uh, if he's not gonna, you know, make the shots and he's, you know, struggling on the the team defense aspect and he's getting beat off of closeouts, um, it's gonna be tough to keep him out there on the floor. So yeah, and, and Isaac's Isaac's gonna command around twenty to twenty five minutes a night at least. Yeah, um, I, so. and I'll freely admit I was I was of the we might need to add another guy into the rotation with Dean's preseason and clearly Isaac has proven that you know. Preseason is preseason for a reason. One other thing I wanted to ask you, this has nothing to do with the guys on the court. This has to do entirely with my viewing experience when I watch on NBA League Pass. Now, where are you, when you go to games at home, where are you in relation to the sideline? Can you hear the sideline mics or the, the coaches shouting, the guys working the refs? I cannot. It's cornered behind the Cavs bench at like the, the middle level. Okay. Okay. Well, then this question isn't going to work because, I, <laughs> you know, the first game, you could hear so much of what JB was saying on the that sideline. Was, that, they, that's a that's a that's a broadcast thing, man. They got to fix that live mic. All you heard was 
That's terrible. That's bullshit, That's Mark. Terrible, That's Mark. bullshit. Come on, Mark. <laughs> yeah, and He's it got me wondering. Me, I'm like, I wonder who is like the best guy at work in the ref. Because I got to say, JB feels clumsy as hell. Like, I get why Cavs fans sometimes feel like, God, we can't get the benefit of the doubt on whistles. I wouldn't give it to him because sometimes the way that he works the refs, I'm like, man, not only would this be annoying to be getting yelled at, but I just don't even like the way that you approach him. I want somebody who does it with uh, humor. Some self-deprecation. In any case, man, this is, I, I kept you for far longer than I intended to, but that was just because I was excited to hear your perspective on things. And I can't, I can't reinforce enough. I'm not just saying it because he's on the podcast. I, I'm saying it because these mailbags are, it's a genuinely fun addition to my day. And I appreciate the volume you're putting out because just to be able to see all the kind of things you're adding to the discourse and the data you're providing, it's a great read. And I encourage everybody to go check it out. You can find uh, Spencer on Twitter at Spin Davies. He's got links to all this stuff. I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. And I hope we get to do it again. No doubt, man. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you having me on. And and yeah, everybody, please uh, continue to ask questions, fire them away. Uh, not only just on my Twitter, but you can email me. I'm at spindavies22 at gmail.com, spindavies22 at gmail.com if you want to submit any questions or if you just want to know anything about the Cavs, just I have, Twitter, I have a question. Can I do it in this forum, though? I do oh, have one question. Okay. Yeah, 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 sure. What Spin, what's the origin? Oh, wow. I love, I love when I get origin questions. Uh, so when I was a kid and uh, cell phones were not a thing because I'm starting to age now, which is even crazier. My brother, shout out to Cade. He's uh, actually going to be turning 18 here soon and uh, starting his senior season at Cuyahoga Heights. They had an Elite Eight finish last year, school record. Nice. So cool. um, oh, and shout out to Quinn, too. He's going to kill me if I don't. Uh, Quinn's my, my <laughs> littlest brother. He's a hell of a swimmer at Brexville. But uh, I'm just showing the people how old I am. Um, 31 now. But uh, when I was growing up, I had a favorite toy. And if the 90s kids want to remember, uh, there was a sit and spin. Sit and spin where you would sit on this. It's like a platform. wheel on a piece of it plastic. Was a wheel, okay. And I would just go and go and go and go and go. And so when I was like four, parents just started calling me spin. And I had not used it. I had not used the spin nickname for a long period of time. They would, they would only call me that every once in a while. I also got spoon sometimes, but uh, <laughs> the nickname was brought back in college because I needed a brand for doing my radio stuff. When I was at the radio station at WZIP Akron, big part of what I, you know, my journey. I brought it back. I started using it as my Twitter handle. I've even got, you know, personal nickname extension is Spinny, Spinny D, all that stuff. Unfortunately, Spencer is no longer a unique name. It used to be, it's not anymore. So that's how I separate myself, and that's how I prefer most people refer to me as in this field. Okay, well, I didn't want to take liberties, but I'll call you Spin if I'm allowed to. Absolutely. Uh, okay. No, I, it, it, it's music to my ears. I can appreciate it because, you know, I my name is about as generic as it comes, Bob. Um, and it also makes people think I'm like 60 years old, uh, which, you know, eventually, hopefully I will be, uh, that was all. I was just curious about that. So thank you. Uh, I won't take any more of your time, but we're going to talk down the road, uh, after Jared Allen wins his first MVP, you know, definitely then if that happens, I demand an appearance. 
<laughs> Sounds good, man. Fear the fro. Appreciate y'all. So there you go. That's going to do it for this episode of the Fear the Fro podcast with my new close personal friend, Spin Davies. And yeah, I wanted to know on the name. I'll be honest. That was an endearing story of a childhood activity and the parents naming him after one of his favorite activities. Certainly a perfectly good explanation for Spin. But I was hoping it was something wild, like um, I created Meatspin.com in my youth. And if you haven't been to that website, this is really a way to date how old someone is. If you're familiar with that, you're old as fuck. And if you aren't, well, use caution. Don't access it on a work computer because it's still up. I checked right before this uh, interview. The Chase Down guys, they come up with interesting parallels between Bam Adebayo and Evan Mobley before they talk to Spencer Davies. I go to meatspin.com. That is why this podcast is what this is, and theirs is quality. So, in conclusion, I am resetting my panic meter down to... Time to panic. Time to panic. Time to panic. Zero. It's zero. I've cleaned the slate. I'm ready for the Warriors.